does it matter? Grace is everywhere. That's how Georges Bernanos ends his classic novel, The Diary of a Country Priest. The novel is, um, chronicles the life of a young priest right up to the time of his death. Those words that I began with are his last. And in the course of the diary, we encounter a young man on a journey, a young man who is moving away from a conception of God and of life as legalistic and from self-hatred to understanding. To me, his last words sum up not only the readings that we've heard this morning, but the whole Lenten season, and indeed our whole Christian faith. It's all grace. It's all grace. When Abram had his encounter with God and received his call to become a great nation, it was not because he had done anything to merit it. God smiled on that man in Ur of the Chaldees and decided that he would bless the whole world through him. In Abram, later Abraham, the whole of human history then begins to become salvation history. The flight from God, what the church fathers called aversio adeo, the aversion or the flight, the movement away from God, which marks the previous 11 chapters of Genesis, changes. And that movement away from God then becomes a turning toward God, a conversio ad deum, a movement toward God, as Abraham heeds the call in faith. And indeed, his name begins to change from Abram to Abraham. Now, what we see in the whole rest of the Scripture is God's reaching out to humanity in grace. So what is grace? Well, the classic definition consists of two words. Two words. Unmerited favor. That's grace. Unmerited favor. Grace, then, is God simply being God and loving us because it is God's choice to do so. That's what Abraham experienced when the voice of God called him from home and family, taking him on the journey of a lifetime. Grace is what knocked Paul off his horse on the Damascus road and sent him off to examining what the life of faith is all about. Grace is what led Nicodemus to seek out Jesus by night because he knew what he, that he had come from God. It's all grace. What is important for us to understand, however, is that we come to grace through faith. Now, Abram could have chosen to stay home in Ur. After all, he had a nice little business. He had a family. He had a home. He had a nice setup. He could have stayed there. He was comfortable. Life was good. 
And it was only, though, when he opened himself to the gift of faith that he was able to act upon grace and take the risk of relationship with God and enter on to that journey. And that's where we Christians get into trouble. We think that faith and belief are the same thing. They're not. Believing is something that we can do purely through the strength of our own will and through the strength of our own intellect. And belief can lead people to do some pretty horrible things because they believed they were right. Let me give you two pretty principal examples. Hitler undertook the eradication of the Jews because he believed it to be the right thing. Planes flew into the World Trade Center because their hijackers believed they were doing God's will. People are killing people. As we're sitting here this morning across the waters in God's name because they believe they're doing the right thing. God only knows what goes on and goes through some people's minds as they do or they say horrid things because of their belief in God. One can say that he or she believes in God and still have no evidence of it in his or her life. Nicodemus knew, believed that Jesus came from God, but he couldn't act on what he believed. He still had too many questions that weighed him down. How can anyone be born after being growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? His sense of what was right, his, what he believed about the nature of the world, got into the way of what God wanted to do for him in Jesus Christ. And in fact, isn't that the case for many of us, for most of us? We constantly want to make things more manageable, more believable, dare I say it, more comfortable. And so we set up all sorts of systems of belief to guarantee what we believe, what we know. And more often than not, those systems end up being filled with rules. And we find ourselves outside the experience of grace. Legalism is no substitute. Abraham believed, had faith, that God had called him, but he didn't let it go at that. This is how the whole notion of salvation by grace through faith works. It's not just enough to say, I believe, and there's an end to it. When Abram heard the call of God, he acted upon it. He set out on his journey to the promised land to become a great nation, the father of God's people by faith. You see, right belief, orthodoxy, right belief, gives birth to right actions, orthopraxy. Orthodoxy without orthopraxy is dead. It's cold. It's lifeless. And I think that's why so many people 
have so much trouble with the Christian faith. That's why we've seen the increase of that statistical number called the nuns. And I don't mean the N-U-N's, I mean the N-O-N-E-S's who say, what's your religious faith? None. Because too many Christians don't really practice what they say they believe. Too many of us aren't living what we're supposed to be about. We forget that what God has called us into is a covenant relationship, which means that we have a part to play too. If we're being born again, then it means that we're supposed to show, it's supposed to show in the way that we live. It's supposed to come out concretely in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, in the way that we conduct our business, in the way that we raise our families. Being born again isn't a tick-off point in the to-do list of life. It isn't a bucket list thing. At least, it's not that. At least, it's not that, especially when we're born again, really. Nicodemus wondered how one could be born again And Jesus told him that it came from water and the Spirit. Nicodemus knew, but he couldn't act on it until God in Christ had revealed to him that it's not what we do, but it's what God does in us and enables us to do that matters. So salvation, then, is more a process of growth and change than a simple moment of crisis And salvation is also our entering into a covenant relationship and then living as God would have us live and has modeled for us to live in Jesus Christ. Abraham was judged righteous because he heard the call of God and he responded in faith. We are made righteous because the benefit of that covenant has been extended to us and has been made real by the lifting up of the Son of Man, so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. God allows us to be born again, and in so doing, does not destroy our nature, but, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, grace builds on nature. God takes what is here and brings us to what we're supposed to be. There was a 17th century preacher, Robert Layton, who wrote something that I really like. This is what he says. He says, Grace does not pluck up by the roots and wholly destroy the natural passions of the mind because they are distempered by sin. That were an extreme remedy to cure by killing and to heal by cutting off. No, but it corrects the distemper in them. It dries up the mainstream of love, but it dries not up the mainstream of love, but purifies it from the mud it is full of in its wrong course or calls it to its right channel by which it may run into happiness and empty itself into the ocean of goodness. Isn't that a marvelous image? That God wants to clean us up and get us 
channeled in the right way. So where may we go? Into God, into happiness, into the ocean of goodness. Who is God himself? Another author of the same period has something to say about being born again and what it really looks like. And I think this one is really good. I can only imagine that what he was thinking as he wrote this. Because he, he's almost bubbling. Listen to what he says. This is John Preston. Christ leads them into his cellar, as it were, and makes a man's heart glad with flagons of wine. That is, with the consolations of the Spirit. I say it quickens him and makes him zealous and ready to every good work. And when hath once tasted of this wine, his case is like Elihu's. He cannot hold it in, but he must break forth into good works, into holiness of life. You see, what is he talking about? He's saying we get inebriated. (laughs) In what? The power and the wonder of the Holy Spirit. And we get so into that wonder and power of the Holy Spirit that we can't hold it in. And what happens? It bubbles out of us and into others. And it makes an effect all around us in holiness of life. One who has been truly born of water and spirit is going to show forth the reality of grace at work in his or her life. To be born again is all a matter of growth. And of grace. Bernanos's character struggles to understand both his situation and himself. And soon he learns the peace of self acceptance, and he comes to realize that grace is at work at him in him, frail as he is. And the final entry that the author has him make in his diary reads like this. Well, it is all over now. The strange mistrust I had of myself, of my own being, has flown. I believe forever. That conflict is done. I cannot understand it anymore. I am reconciled to myself, to the poor, poor shell of me. How easy it is to hate oneself. True grace is to forget. Yet if pride could die in us, the supreme grace would be to love oneself in all simplicity as one would love any one of those who themselves have suffered and loved in Christ. Perhaps that's the grace God gives, that we can come to love ourselves and know ourselves lovable. Maybe that's the journey that all of us are on as we travel the road to the love of God, travel the road to the love of self, travel the road to the love of others. What does matter is that we understand, that we believe, that we have faith, that we own, that we are God's children by adoption, and that we are recipients of a great gift. When we can get ourselves past the need to control, 
past the need to manage our world rather than allowing God to be God. We're being born again. We're being born again, really. And when we open ourselves to the reality of God's transforming presence through the Holy Spirit, who can live in us and act through us, we're being born again, really. And when we can get past that being born again is more than reciting some words by rote, rather be it the, rather, rather be it the sinner's prayer or even one of the great creeds of the church or going through the motions of the so-called religious life, then we're being born again, really. Because you see, being born again isn't so much about my intellectual ascent as it is about my opening my life to God's Spirit and getting out of the way so that God can make me this person I was meant to be in God's image and in God's likeness. Being born again is living in oneness in with God and with God's creation. And yes, it's being in oneness even with all those people who annoy us, especially those folks who come up to you and say, have you been born again? And when we're being born again, really, then we can see the truth of those words. Does it matter? Grace is everywhere. It's all grace.